in this series, and it's actually a third part of a, a lesson we started a few weeks back, and so it's called Christ and Culture Part 3, which will be the, the winding up of the series on title Our Only Hope, the Supremacy of Christ in a Postmodern World. There's an echo on this, which uh, is not worrying me too much, but it may worry you. This morning we're going to, um, as you come to this last lesson, um, I'd like us to take time to, to think about where we find ourselves today as a church uh, in this current world. By this I mean uh, as a Bible-based, Bible-believing, evangelical church, a church that seeks to continue the work started at Pentecost and not to be contaminated by postmodern ideologies, nor confused or intimidated by the woke narrative. And uh, this morning, um, we've gone through several passages of Scripture of the, law, of the, of the, the previous um, lessons. And so today, I'm going to... Yeah, that's now becoming a little bit more challenging. Today, I'm going to focus perhaps a little more on application uh, and in a very um, specific stream. I want us to leave today with at least something that we can get our teeth into, something to help us see how we, um, how we are placed in a, in a world that um, is not our home, and we're amongst people that are not our friends. Uh, we are called to love them, we are called to evangelize them, but we live in a world where the world system and the forces at play uh, are, are, have aimed their missiles, their spiritual missiles at us, and we are in the firing line. So, uh, it's going to be a bit um, more uh, application, and I'm going to try and get us to a point where we can leave with uh, thinking about where, where to go to from here. So uh, that's where we're going to be going to. Last uh, time we spoke, I finished the lesson with this quote, and I want to start here with a quote again. It's Winston Churchill. He used these words to galvanize the British people to fight to the bitter end. Uh, his simple plan was to attack and overcome on every front, and he said, we shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight in the, on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills, we shall never surrender. That was the words of the Prime Minister as he, as he took Britain to victory. This, unfortunately, is also in a, in a very unintended way. It typifies the strategy of the postmodern culture in general, and of the woke movement in particular. They are determined to not give up until they've bent society to suit them. I'm going to requote this, um, I'm going to requote this quote in a modified form at the end, and I want to change it so it maybe becomes more meaningful to us. But this does, if you think about what is being said, especially in the last line, we shall never surrender, that is their focus. They are not going to surrender. They have a foothold in at so many doors and they will refuse to let those doors close. And so because of that, we are indeed in a battle with them. Well, I'll not be able to say everything today about the subject. It's a wide subject. When we talk about the culture in which we find ourselves, it touches on everything, every single aspect of our lives. And we're not going to talk about things like global warming. We're not going to talk things about uh, the um, economies of the world, which has been driven by, changed by the World Economic Forum, None of those things all can be spoken about because it's a, a wide subject. So we're going to focus on something very specific today because I think it touches home very clearly. 
uh, touches us not only at home but at church, and I want to make focus on that this morning as much as I can. Um, my intention today is not to, not, not to instill fear or despair, but really to encourage us to be vigilant disciples, to be obedient defenders of the faith. We spoke about the faith on Wednesday. We need to be defenders of the faith and well-prepared godly parents at home. This is, one of, this is our biggest challenge right now for those of you who have children growing up who are going to school, who are still coming to that age when they're not only going to ask questions but tell you what they believe and you need to follow suit. So we pray for godly parents to be prepared. And as we endeavor to hold the spiritual front against evil forces. We've discussed how we are embedded in the current culture. It's all around us. We know that we are not part of it, even though we live in it. And we went through John 17 as we looked at the Lord's Prayer, how he uses phrases there which remind us of that. We're not of this world. We're left in it. Uh, and yet... We have to function in a way in a world where we have been left to be an uh, evangelistic uh, force uh, in the sense that we go out and we speak the gospel. Up until recently, we've been able to live side by side with this postmodern society. Foreign to our worldview, contrary to our values, and enemies of the cross to which we cling. But we were still able to understand each other within reason. We were able to navigate the world that is dark even while being children of light, simply because it was a normal, logical way of communicating. By and large, we knew that we were, what we were saying to each other, even when we were disagreeing vehemently. We were kind of talk, saying things that we could understand on both sides. It didn't take much to explain what you were saying. This was because of a level playing field of communication called the narrative. We had a narrative that we, uh, it was, uh, we were able to engage in that both sides left with the understanding of what was meant by the other. Not always totally clearly, but it was there. What is a narrative? Well, the Webster, uh, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary says that uh, the narr- narr- narrative is defined as a way of presenting or understanding a situation or series of events that reflects and promotes a particular point of view or set of values. That's what narrative is and we are now on today to look a little bit at how the narrative has changed and in many cases the narrative has left us uh, wanting left us still in the starting blocks while the rest of the world is going on and changing the face of society this is all changed this narrative that we once uh, understood has all changed Logic and sanity seems to have left the public discourse. We no longer understand each other. This is because the narrative has changed. The narrative has been captured. Uh, It's been captured by uh, uh, the current uh, prevailing ideologies. Whoever sets the narrative controls the prevailing ideology. And the narrative has, has changed. Uh, in so many ways, by introducing terminology that is designed to shock and awe. Um, we hear things, and I heard some things this week, listening to some, um, some material that's shocking what people are saying. What's coming out of their mouths about um, things that we hold here from the scriptures and about Jesus, you don't want to even think it. It is so blasphemous. And yet it's coming out of the mouths of people who claim to be either Christian or at least religious or in religious studies. And so the words 
are becoming horrendous. It's designed to provoke reaction. It's designed to leave the opponents, that's us, hammered by unintelligible rhetoric. You half the time you don't know what they're talking about. I'll give you some examples. What does that mean? Does anybody here know what queering means? I will talk about it later on. But this is a legitimate word in the current narrative, queering. And it, and it, and it applies to us. You'll see it very clearly later on. Natal and trance. If you're not a trance person, you're a natal person. Trans woman or natal woman. And that has become a, 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 a part of the narrative which is being used. And so when we, are, when we hear this, we don't realize they're speaking about us in one way or another. No, we trance, but we should all be natal. Dead naming. You're now being accused of dead naming, and I'll touch on that shortly. Uh, does anybody recognize the term? Yeah, dead naming. Uh, it wasn't what I first thought it was, but it certainly is uh, horrendous enough. Not only is language, is the new language uh, introduced and then ratified by significant dictionaries, Merriam-Webster, Webster, for instance, but most people don't know what these terms mean. And even that they, the people who's been spoken to, have been included in a category they know nothing about. For example, side A, side B, side X, side Y. Who recognizes those terms? Every one of us sitting here belongs to one of those, whether you like it or not. Not because we chose to, but because we are defined like it. I will cover that later on when I get to the church. But you are being put into categories whether you like it or not. And when this is spoken about, you don't realize you're either being spoken to or spoken about. So terminology has become the weapon of the left, the weapon of the woke uh, uh, community, the weapon of postmodern society. These kind of terms form the basis of the new narrative. And the narrative is driven by the nascent culture. This is a culture that is becoming dominant in society. And the, and the culture is being driven by wokeism. I know we've covered wokeism a lot. We've covered all about wokeness a lot. We need to keep plodding at it because it's becoming overwhelming in so many areas. Wokeism is the Again, defined by dictionary, not the Webs, not the Merriam-Webster, but the Collins Dictionary this time. Wokeism is the it's a real word, right? It's not a made-up word. Denver never made this word up. This is a word. Wokeism and wokery are words in the dictionary, believe it or not. It's the behavior and attitudes of people who are sensitive to social and political injustices. Listen to the words. It's the behavior and attitudes of people who are sensitive. When they say sensitive, it means they are sensitive in the sense of trying to make things right. They are the good people. The people trying to bring justice in an unjust society. They are considered to be woke, and they subscribe to wokeism. The secular conservative culture has made the mistake of accepting the alternative language of the woke culture. This is where we make a mistake. When we start accepting that in any form or fashion, we have given up the fight. You have seeded that they are at least a recognizable entity. So, for instance, when somebody calls you a cisgender male, don't accept the term. You are a man. That's it. The minute you say, well, I understand I'm cis and you trans, you have lost the argument. You have just said, you drive the narrative, you drive the logic, you drive the insanity, and I will just climb aboard this crazy wagon. 
Because that's what you've done. So the secular conservative culture has made the mistake of accepting the alternative language of the woke culture. The current secular uh, conservative culture has become accepting and affirming of the woke narrative and, and have therefore lost the foothold on the rational discourse and ideological sanity. This is insanity. The sad part is that the church is not far behind. The church is right there being sucked into this in a way which we don't even realize. Wokeism has taken over every major node of society. And, that, and they do this by applying a, a hermeneutic called revisionism. Revisionism is asking questions about and trying to change existing beliefs about how events happened or what the importance or meaning is. And this can be applied to any area of teaching. Any area, any philosophy uh, can be subjected to revisionism. And the revisionists try and take what has been the standard status quo and they change it to suit a, a, an ideology that suits their purposes. So, for instance, in the law, there is a, a revisionist uh, approach to jurisprudence, society and the law. Here's the narrative. People living homosexual lives want a union. I don't call it a marriage. I only use the word marriage when it's used as a quote in something, but it's not a marriage. It's a union. Same-sex unions are not marriages. A marriage is defined by Genesis uh, chapter 2, and it's uh, what God recognizes. So I use the word union whenever I refer to it. Uh, a relationship, perhaps, but it's not a marriage. Nonetheless, people living in, home, in the homosexual lives want the union recognized as normal. As normal as any heterosexual marriage has been since creation, and they're determined to force you, by law, to accept and affirm them. We had this taking place in America in a big way, and it's been recently all falling into place, called uh, the Freedom to Marry campaign. You imagine that who did the campaign to be free to marry? We've been doing that since Adam and Eve. But this is a different kind of freedom to marry. This was driven by uh, the homosexual uh, 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 community, and so they wanted the right to marry, and they, and they started a campaign called the Freedom to Marry campaign. Uh, and the right to marry, or the freedom of marriage campaign, played a major role in achieving this. Because to them, marriage matters. I've, I've never understood that. Uh, I, I battle with it till today, why marriage matters to those who want to break down the very core and framework and foundation of marriage. But here are three reasons why marriage matters to them. They give the following reasons as to why so-called same-sex marriages matter. Number one, winning the freedom to marry matters because, yes, marriage matters. They believe that marriage is significant. That says something. It says that at least while they want to twist it and, uh, and, and change it and make it what it's not, um, recognize that there is an institution called marriage. Uh, and they recognize that it's a significant institution because once they have that uh, title, uh, in their uh, pool of, of words, they then are able to step into certain things that people normally acquire by marriage by default. And you're some of them. Number one, they see it as winning the freedom to marry uh, to have equal citizenship for gay people. That means that once they have equal citizenship, they have equal rights to all things in society that is acquired because you are married. When you're married to, uh, to um, 
a man who must marry, there are certain tax incentives. Well, now they get that. There are other incentives that you could do around wills and ownership and things that was automatically in place either by a common law marry um, or community property marry, I should rather say, or by, or by, or by a, a legal document. However, it was there as a default. This now gives them equal citizenship and the rights to things that are normally only available to people who are married under the old paradigm. Don? Including adoption. I forgot about that. You're right. So now they can adopt legally. And in fact, I would I'd propose that if a, if, a, if a couple was a husband and wife, pretty standard, uh, Christian, uh, basic, goes to apply for adopting a child, and uh, a gay couple goes, the gay couple's going to win. I, can, I, almost, I, I won't guarantee it, but I would be greatly surprised if the Christian couple won. That is where the law has gone, and so adoption, yeah. Another thing. Uh, winning the freedom to marry enriched the lives, not just of gay people, but the non-gay people or, or, or their family members, their friends, their co-workers, and their fellow citizens. I'm going to repeat this by saying what they say about this being married, how their lives are enriched. Now I want you to just take notice of something. Here's a quote. This is what they say from their own website. This is the Freedom to Marry uh, campaign website. We dug deep. We worked hard. And we helped transform non-gay people's understanding of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people and the values we all share. What is significant about that quote? There's something hugely significant about that quote. Gay norm. Man, that word is like a hammer. We grew up in, in a society where there was a single standard. It was called whiteness, right? And how was every other group defined? As non-white. We know that because there was a standard and everyone was measured by that standard. We would say that we are the standard and people who are gay are non-standard. They flipped it completely around. The standard is now gayness. And everybody else is measured by how much they are non-gay. They've changed society. They've changed the narrative. They've changed how people look at each other. We are measured by a gay standard. And whether you like it or not, you may not call yourself that, but as things take place, as laws are legislated, as people speak, as people are taught, as the narrative expands with society, that's the phraseology used. And so we see that they have dug deep, and I'm going to show you just how deep they've dug because it's significant to see what they've done to get what they've got. It's not a small win. It's a huge win for them, and it is a win because we are talking about this today in this way, trying to fend off this accusation that we are non-gay people. So quickly, I'm going to try and be as quick as I can with this. This whole movement, the Freedom to Marry movement, started around about the 1970s to, the 19, to, to, to 1983 when they were pioneering the marriage movement. It's called the early years of pioneering the marriage movement. 1993 to 1996, they launched the movement, and there was a global marriage movement that began in Hawaii. <laughs> they went surfing and started the movement. 2003, the national campaign started in America. Creating the Freedom to Marry campaign started in 2003. 2003 to 2004, they won the first state in Massachusetts. Already is a win 
early in 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 the in the, in the twenty first century, twentieth century, twenty uh, first century, twenty first century. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> I'm not going to change the narrative at all. Two thousand four to two thousand eight, they look forward to pursuing the second state, even though they're pushing against defeats. They had some defeats, but they're pushing against the defeats. Then they are not. Um, uh, um, disorganized, they, 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 they're going against it, and they are pushing against all the defeats coming their way. 2009 to 2010, rebounding and transforming from those defeats, they strengthen the campaign and they build up a structure. 2011, shifting the political center of gravity, and they win the marriage law in New York, 2011. 2012, they secure support of the president and the Democratic Party. And they call the that reigning president the messenger in chief. We're now seeing why maybe he was very attached to that very community. Let's talk about Obama. He was the messenger in chief. They won him, they won the Democratic Party, and they won the political seats. 2011, 2012, they won at the ballot box. A referendum was won, and so four out of four ballots were won, which means that the country was now supporting this move. They've gone from a small group and they've lobbied and they've fought and they've dug in deep. And so by 2012, they're winning the minds of the public. 2013, they strike down the uh, Defense of Marriage Act. And that is struck down uh, as a discrimination act. 2014, the, the movement accelerates. And um, they show America is ready for the freedom to marry. 2015... They win the Marriage Act, or the right to same-sex marriage, in the Supreme Court. It's a, nation, it's a national-wide win. That digging in took me 45 years. 45 years of plodding, and that's where they got where they got. They don't give up. I'm, I'm gonna, I've showed you that trajectory, the historical trajectory, to make you realize whatever they're doing now, they don't give up. The moves are making into your families, your children. The moves are making into your, your, your mindset, your worldview through work. The moves are making into the church is the thin point of a wedge. They do not stop until they've driven it all the way home. 45 years, and they got what they want. This is not benign. It's dangerous. The danger is it's destroying the nuclear family. It has destroyed the nuclear family. Because people that, that, that subscribe to this see the nuclear family as a threat to wokeism. So, what next was it the only area that they had actually revised? Sorry, any questions on that before I go any further? Comments? Questions? It's a lot to take in, and I want you to think about this, and perhaps we can discuss it some other time if you want to, but this is something we need to think about. Revisionists in the medical field. Now, I know there's doctors sitting here, and they can tell you I'm right or wrong about this, but this is certainly something we all heard about. They've revised the way we look at biology and reality. You're no longer told that you are born a man or born a woman, born male or female. You are assigned that sex at birth. The words are, are, are critical. What happens when you are born, a doctor takes you and looks at the baby and looks at all the baby's um, sexual construction and says, well, I assign this to be a male. Really? Uh, he's, he's seen something God has created in the womb uh, that's been that way for nine months, has had that sex and gender for nine months, well, very shortly after the after conception. 
uh, the gender is formed. And by the time the baby is born, after nine months, is born a boy or a girl. All you do is to affirm. We affirm the gender. We don't assign an agenda. But that's what they say. We assign, we assign genders at birth. Then, we, if we don't like what we've been assigned at birth, we can identify alternatively. If I've been assigned a male at birth, but I now feel like a woman, I don't feel like a male, I now identify as a woman. I'd like anyone of you here to tell me, those of you who are male, what it feels like to be male. How do you get up when you say, I feel male today? How many of you women get up and say, I feel woman? It's not a feeling. It's a reality. It's what you've been given. It's your physical makeup, your psychological makeup. All of you, both, material, both your material and your immaterial side is made up because think of the fact of the nurturing uh, side of, of, of women. That's part of the, of the spiritual side that they nurture by nature. So, yeah, it's, if you don't feel it, you identify yourself differently, and then you transition. You change. You move. I thought that shapeshifters were only in science fiction movies. Apparently, shapeshifting is a totally re relevant thing today. People change what they look like. So, if you do not identify with the gender you were, you get assigned, you, assign, you, you identify that you were assigned to, assigned with, you identify differently, and once you've identified differently, you are then able to transition to whatever degree you want to. It may just be dressing or maybe going the full way. Where every physical change that can possibly be done to the human body is done so that you, who were born a man, looks and can to a degree function sexually as a woman. This is scary. Think about this. And I want you to think about this very carefully. Because today we still have a matter of, not trans of transitioning. Not in this sense, but that we have all this wave taking place. With the way of modern science, with the, with the progress and strides in, uh, in surgery and in uh, chemical, uh, uh, chemical introduction of chemicals into your body, hormonal uh, therapy, there'll be a time when a young man will meet a young woman, fall in love, and marry her. And if she does not disclose what she was born as, he will never know he's married a woman, someone who was born a man. That's what's coming down the line. If they don't disclose what they were, what, what they were born as, and they're successful in surgery in any form or fashion, you won't know, even in the marriage bed, that this is not, that this is not a woman. You will not know that it's a man until the day when she never ever give, he never ever gives birth, which is another story, another kind of word altogether. Yeah, but that is the fear of it, gender. Yeah, two things. Yes, I think you should start asking first. When you see a woman, <laughs> what were you born as? Um, oh, sorry, on that, ask, for a, ask her to provide an underbridged birth certificate. <laughs> you have to. And then secondly, ask her, can you kindly give me a blood sample? Yes. Can I show you chromosome? I agree. We, we, anyway, um, we got here because, and I think sometimes we don't make the connection, uh, because of postmodernism, which is what your topic is, yeah. and the, the sad reality is because truth was suppressed and feelings were elevated, feelings became truth. That's why the church needs to emphasize truth and not feelings. feelings. And often we, we think in terms of what, um, how the world responds, how the world thinks about this. But in the church as well, we think through feelings. Yeah. I don't like what 
you are saying about that because we think emotionally about a topic, but there's a standard. We have the truth. We have the word of God, which lays out this creation um, mandate, which has been perverted by society. There is no other option. There's male, there's female. God affirms what Adam calls the woman. Absolutely. Woman. So if there's anything other than that, if there's a, a third kind, I think is what they call it. Right? Yes. The, the new breed of humanity is called the third kind. If there's anything else, it's a perversion of the standard. Absolutely. And then on that point, I want to get that point before I end because it's important. I want to show you how the church, how people that we actually use as references for our theology are already moving in that direction. Don. Don, they, them. Um, I just want to also point out the incredible contradictions you have with this unlikely allyship between the trans, the bi, the homosexual, the lesbian, that has to unfold at one time, or in some time, because they completely disagree with each other. The homosexual movement was always um, championed as a born-that-way movement, a a way of being that could not be changed, fixed from conception. The trans, as you have here on the screen, says, no, we can become whatever we want at any time. We, we transition. There is no fixed entity. So the bisexual is arguing, I'm two, bi is two, right? There are only two alternatives. And championing that, the other one's saying there are 72, and you One can more. be any of them. It's endless. Yeah. It's all about their feeling and identity. So what this is, is not a movement for a new truth statement, but just simply undoing the truth that exists. And they don't care that they contradict each other. Absolutely. They will never be at war because it isn't about being right. It's about undoing what is right. So let me just add that there's a new caveat to that whole, whole thing. That whole movement is now unraveling at the seams because the LGBTQ say that trans people are wrong. And here is the crazy, here's the crazy part. News, you watch any news broadcast when they interview, when they discuss this, they have on their panel gay people as the sound of um, normalcy to speak against transgenderism. You have guys like Douglas Murray. Douglas Murray has become a voice of reason to say why it's wrong, why transgenderism doesn't make sense. He's a gay man married to a, to, to a man. They become the voice of reason. That is exactly what Demis says. As we jettison truth, that feeling, it's, it's malleable, it moves, and it changes whatever is the prevailing feeling of, a, of the dominant group for a day. This is confusing. We're living in this world. Erin. Hello, Uncle Peter. Hello, dear. I just have a question on what we're supposed to do in the workplace, and it's about their titles. I had to fill out two forms in this week, and one was for a course. Um, and on the one of the mandatory things is your title, and the drop-down menu is Miss, She, Her, Dut, Dut, Dut. So I know I'm a Miss and a She and a Her. So I select that because that's what I am. Yes. And then the emails come, dear, it in September, She, Her, Miss. It makes me feel comfortable. Yes. And on like your social profiles or your, your professional profiles, that indicates that you are an ally because you recognize that there can be other pronouns. So 
So that is a, a mandatory option to fill out and I'm not sure what to do. It's a real thing. So it's this, these are great areas we're all going to have to, and this, really what I want to try and give us with today is that we do work this, we need to work this as a church because you're faced with it. So it's easy for me to give an answer that I give because I'm not in the workplace, but I trust I would have done this. So the options, as you say, once you, once you use that, you are, can be seen to be supporting it. An alternative, maybe, and I'm saying maybe, I don't know, we haven't thought it so carefully, you say, write to your HR department and say, please, kind of in the future, all my emails should be addressed as Mrs. September. I don't recognize anything else. I won't answer emails addressed each other. I don't know what, I know what's going to get you, but we don't know the answers clear of now, so you ask me for answers, I don't know if there's an option, but we do need to think of a way of pushing back, but when we push back, there are consequences, Denver. Yeah, most application forms have other because they make allowances for yes. those who, who don't identify as normal human beings. <clears throat> so use the other, and you type in uh, Mrs. Yeah. Uh, the, the, like you say, the challenge is when you have she, he, her, whatever, him, um, in your title, it's affirmatory of the movement. Yeah. And we as Christians need to, to be able to say, no, I don't affirm this. Um, secondly, um, the well, I wouldn't really say, it, but the social media movement. I think that that's where it becomes uh, a problem. Is because if they identify you as a she/her in your workplace, that transfers over to social media. They see you, like you said, as an ally. Yeah. But we are not. Um, we have an opportunity at the moment where other is um, optional. Choose that right there, misses, and nothing else. Yep. And I agree with Peter. If you don't want that in your email, just so say, I do not respond to she, he, her. Um, I do respond to misses. Yeah. Uh, be, be very clear on that. I think the unfortunate thing is my theology professor said <clears throat> he who defines the term controls the argument. Absolutely. He who controls the argument writes the narrative makes absolute sense, right? This is in theology. When they determine what you are called, they've already won. Yep. Quick point, and I want to move on there because I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to not make all the material. Eh? <laughs> I'm going to take your lesson over. <laughs> One quick, on that point, so let me just give you a, this, that's, that is actually transitioned, again, I use the word as we normally use it, to another level. I'm trying to, I've, I've read something, I'm trying to find the source of this, what I've read. You now, go to a clinic or a hospital and you're filling in something for x-rays going for x-rays and the form would ask you things like and i'm not sure you guys in the medical field can maybe help us finding the source sources like this you now ask things like if you're going to go for your name how you are, and the same things usually all that and then if you're filling this point to ask you have you had when was the last period now you could be a man but because transgender men can have periods, they qualify to answer that. Right? So, and if it's digital, you can't move on until you, until, you, until you touch the bullet because it won't let you move on. So, we are being forced, no matter how we fight it, to, to comply at every level. Gaynor, uh, can you take the mic, Gaynor? Please, it's for recording purposes. Oh, is it is, is or Gaynor? The reason for that is if you're a female and you're pregnant, they won't give you x-rays. And I understand. So it is a thing. What's that? What, what's that? No, I agree. They can ask it of a woman or of any female, whether she's pregnant, but to understand clearly that transgender women 
transgender, I'm just going to rub this against confused. Transgender women. Transgender men, sorry. Transgender men, I'll talk about it right now. Transgender men can get pregnant, can have periods, can lactate. Okay? Men can have babies. That is the common mantra. I'll get to right now. Right, next, my next, that's my next point, in fact. Peter? Yes. Quick one. Just, just on that particular point you were talking about, is Afrikaans saying that she's cis man? But, but on the point that, that, that uh, uh, what's name was making um, in the workplace yes. with those forms and things that you've got to fill in, it's very real. And not too long ago, um, we had a similar situation with the vaccine yep. where we were forced to make those choices in the workplace. Now, we've got to stand on God's word. And yes, there's definitely consequences. And there's some of us that went through those consequences and we're still living with it. But we've got to stand for God's truth. That's it. So, realize clearly the fact that the vaccine program wasn't an accident, right? It was a test lab. We were all put into a lab to test how far they could push us with no pushback. And nobody pushed back. Governments gave in. Businesses gave in. Societies gave in. That was a test to see how far they could push us and know that we will comply. They won. Even now, they're trying to bring it back because they feel they're losing ground. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a drive to bring vaccines and masks back because they know if they leave us long enough to our own devices, we will, we will lose the insanity and we'll recover our senses. One more question before I move on. I see a question on Lorenzo. Uh, Uncle Peter, just to, uh, to add what Iron has said, um, not only force, but they will also try to, in a subtle way, to identify if you are with them or against them. So I work with for probably the most spoke organization here, uh, <laughs> the British High uh, Commission. So they will uh, basically mark you with giving out free stuff, but marked with LGBTQ uh, insignia yeah. or colors. Yeah. And that is how they subtly draw you in. Yeah. And uh, that is also just one way that we must be really be aware um, in the workplace, how oh, they, they, they target you, they mark you uh, to see and where you stand. Be careful of anything that's got a seven color rainbow on it. Uh, sorry, a six color rainbow on it. The, 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 the LGBTQ rainbow has got six colors. For some reason, it hasn't got seven. Either six or eight, but it's not seven. And that's, <laughs> I hope it's, I hope it's a sovereign God just making their minds figure seven is not a good number to have. But yeah. So what you wear, what you do, what you buy, um, it's going to become tremendously difficult. Be careful. Very soon on your, on your hoodie's card, it's going to be in six colors, and you're going to be using it every single time to pay for your food. You've been assimilated. Then I'm going to use next week to finish off. I've got almost only halfway through. Okay. Um, I want, and the reason I want to go slow, I want to take you through things. I need you to take you step by step, because it's taking me a long time to get where I am, and I'm still confused. But this we have to understand. So a transgender, what's a transgender woman? A transgender woman, he says, even though I have a body of a man, I feel like a woman. I'm a transgender woman. That's why people say a transgender woman is a woman. What is a woman? Well, we can't answer that one. But we know a transgender woman is a woman. Even though I'm born a woman, I feel like a man. That's called a transgender man. M to M T F or F T M. That's a man. Uh, who can possibly fall pregnant because that man was born a woman. And if they do surgery only to a certain extent, that man can still have all the functioning parts of his, his birth uh, genitalia and give birth. So 
when you see a guy walking down the street with a beard, balding, uh, the boop on his stomach is not a boop, it's a baby. Be very careful. We must not assume what we see anymore. That assuming, we know what it says, but really we must not assume what we see. It's dangerous. So, you think that if you think this is just maybe a, a crazy cult doing this, it's not. Let me give you something from, uh, and again, uh, this is, I, I, I refer to because I know there's a lot of doctors with us here. This is the John Hopkins glossary of transgender terms of identity. So it's now been defined in, uh, what is John Hopkins? One of the most renowned universities and medical centers, right? So they recognize the term assigned at birth. They recognize the term cisgender. They recognize the term of MTF, male to female or female to male. So when they have anything they, that they are talking about, they will include that in their narrative of whatever it is. They, re, they recognize the term gender queer that is defining your gender as falling somewhere between man and woman. Now, if you can find a spot between a single unitary thing, because remember, when man and woman get married, and we talk about marriage, right? They become one. We'll talk about that in another time. But they find something between man and woman, whether it is a single man or it's a married man. Woman. What's between? Well, they claim there's at least 72 different genders. And it's changing by the day. John Hopkins uses gender affirming as part of their description of what people do. Transgender and transition is all part of their language as a renowned, recognized medical center. So what they say eventually gets caught up by every other subsidiary uh, medical uh, uh, system and it, gets and it gets perpetuated all the time and becomes the language of the day. This happens with the legal system. This happens with the medical system. And so, for instance, there's a group called Trans Hub who've taken this and run with it. And they, they say, having a period is not a feminine thing. And people of all genders menstruate, including non-binary people, agender people, and even plenty of men. <laughs> Think of the insanity of that. And it's put out there as a legitimate, acceptable state of affairs because this is the new reality. This is not behind. This is not benign. Sorry, David. You, want, you need to have a mic. I need to get on, on the recording. Have I made a mistake? Sorry, Doc. I, I, I... No, no. I just, the medical field at the moment is quite interesting because there's this dichotomy that on the one side, uh, like Emily's seen it a lot with gyny things that... You have birthing persons mm. and chest like, feeding, not breastfeeding. <laughs> but at the same time, there's also still this acknowledgement that when it comes to stats, everything has to be in males, it has this prevalence, in females, it has that's this. The, so in our day to day, everyone very clearly acknowledges the biological differences and their importance. Yes. Um, but then coming into the textbooks, into the online resources, it's definitely there, yeah. Absolutely right. And so even though you have to keep doing this um, yo-yoing between the terms when you're at work, because you can use that terms when it's part of your um, stats collection. But we talk in the coffee room and you use the wrong terms, you may then find people are offended. So you keep having to walk two lines, which is a challenge. But the problem is when those things don't get dichotomized as they are, and comes into the narrative of the normal society, people are confused, especially children. Irony. Thanks, David. Thanks very much.
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That is the that is the insanity. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Thanks. I think I'm Zelda. There's a um, a little five-year-old that um, was on a show, and she was very clever in biology. So she was saying that the only difference of or or the pelvic bone is gender specific. Absolutely right. Why do they still want to do all of those things? Absolutely right. So if they if they and and more than just the pelvic bone, but if they find a skeleton uh, that's been in the ground for Yeah, so there's almost a fish on it, and they were looking and said, this is a female. Am I right, Am I right, David? Right. So we know from several ways. First of all, there's the genetic makeup, X, 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 Y. And don't fall for the, oh, the, the others. That's a very small, it's a very small percentage. And usually they do defer to one or the other gender, ultimately, all right? Then there's the bone structure. And um, even if you look at muscle uh, attachment points, everything is bigger, different in males. We are genetically and physiologically different. God didn't make two men or two women. He made something very different. One more hand, Johan. And I'll finish this particular slide. Where am I? Where am I? How many, how many hands? Quick, quick. Sorry, yeah. my apologies. If um, you take, for instance, uh, a young man, and his name is Yanni. His name is? Yanni. Yeah. And now he decided he wants to become Sunny. Yeah. And he goes for all these operations, everything that he needs to do to become a woman. And that person dies one day, mm. stands before Almighty God. What mm. do you think God will say to him? More Yanni. Absolutely. Absolutely, brother. You're spot on. No one's fooling God at this point in time. We are being fooled if we're not careful. Okay, what's it? Now then, I'm going to finish the slide. It's 5-2. I'm going to give us time to break. I will continue with this next week. No? Right. So quickly. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. I'm going to end right here. Yes? Okay. Um, just on Zelda's question is why do they still want to or why are they still pushing us? Uh, it's because there's an ideological manipulation taking place. And yep. Hayden's right. It's not us that they are targeting per se. It's the next generation. Because yes. if they win the minds of the younger folk, if they can convince the younger generation that there's no such thing as gender or right or wrong, mm-hmm. then they've won. Yeah. And they are winning in that regard. Yes. Now, we are not going to change the culture. We're not going to change the way that it's moving. But we've got, pre- got to preserve the minds of those who are under our shepherding care. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. And I'm going to finish on this slide. Cameron, the last question for today. You'll keep your other questions for next week. Right now. No, I'll tell you what dead naming is. Don, what's dead naming? Yes, I want your answer. So, when you use the name of the previous transition identity. Yeah. yeah. I won't even say person because you can be a cat now. So, the yeah. biological entity that used to be called Fluffy and now transitions to human, you have to use their current name. So to use it, that's planning on, 
take uh, take Dion's uh, 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 example. If a boy is born and he's called Yanni, uh, and then Yanni uh, decides that Yanni doesn't identify with his male sex, he now becomes Sunny. And when you speak, Sunny is not S U N N Y for Don's benefit. It's S A W N I E. Sunny, Yanni and Sunny. So when you speak about Sunny, but you want to be right and say what Yanni did, they say you're dead naming Sunny because that name is dead. Yanni is dead. So when you dead name a person, you're insulting a person. You're not recognizing that they have a right to identify as Sunny and that they have a right to be called Sunny and whatever other pronoun Sunny now wants to use as a human. So dead naming, if you dead name people, eventually dead name is going to become hate speech. It's going to become hate speech, and if you name somebody, if you dead name them, you are going to go to jail. Quickly, and I'm going to finish this. With Denver was, and I'm saying right there. The danger are school kids. Our kids are being, this is where they're hitting on. The Trojan horse to our uh, ideology is our kids. They, they're coming into our homes to our kids. Once they've won the kids, they've won, and they are going after the kids. Thank you for your participation. Thank you for your interest. I will continue with this next week. Uh, and then you have a short space. If you have any questions, remember or send it to me so I can prepare for it for next week.